0: focused on the reality of the presence of the Spirit of the Lord in this moment. If you're sitting in your living room or your kitchen, wherever you are today, I just invite you to close your eyes. Just be very just aware presence of God in the world. let me read for you what the apostle Paul wrote to the church about celebrating communion together he said for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread give thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. As we celebrate this morning, we start off by taking the bread. You have a a loaf of bread or a cracker or whatever you have. this morning and I want you to take it and I want you to hold it. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. And so often we always think of that in terms of what it means for me. It's broken for me. But also as we take communion, we're entering into what symbolically and even more spiritually to what Jesus has done and what Jesus invites us into that as Jesus gave his all for us, he invites us all to respond by giving our all back to him. And communion is a way of saying as I'm one with Christ in his life, I'm also one with Christ in his death. That he gave up himself for you and for me. And that when we say we're one with Christ, we give up of ourselves to be united with him in the Christian life, in the life with, of being united with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Today as we hold the bread, I want you to think about what, what that really means, that we, we align ourselves with Jesus, not only with his life, but with his death. And there's some things in your life possibly the Lord's calling you to give up, to die to. There's hurts and there's attitudes and there's unforgiveness. There's sin. There's things in our lives that don't belong and he wants us to die to. And one of the beautiful things about about communion, about the Lord's Supper, is that it's an opportunity to offer those things to. So this morning, hold that in your hand. And I want you to think. I want you to be open allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart and say, what is it that I'm aligning in my life needs to be aligned the death of Christ? What needs to die so that I can live in Christ? So I want you to think of those things and, and hold those things this morning. now in just a moment we're going to partake of the bread and what I want you to do is I want you to, to think of those things in relationship to Christ and I want you to allow them to die as Jesus died to we'll offer them to the Lord and ask him to take them into, by his strength and his power to, to crucify them to break them as a So let's partake of the bread together this morning. After Jesus had taken the bread, he took the cup, wine, or in our case, juice, grape juice that on purpose looks like the shed blood. Reminding us that Jesus didn't hold anything back. He gave it all. To to purchase mankind, to give himself in our place, and to show us that because he didn't stay in the grave and he rose again, that as he shed his blood by his strength and his power, he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And just as you have given those things to God this morning that need to die, then we come to God and we say we need life. Life that that the, the blood of Christ symbolizes of the power and the strength of the Lord. So this morning, those things inside of you that you need the life, energy, and power of God to come into and to breathe life into. I want you to think of those things today. fight the strength of the Lord right there in your living room, right there in your kitchen, right there in your bedroom, the strength of the Lord, the power, the miraculous power of the Spirit of God to come in and do in your life right now in a moment what you can't do on your own and I can't do for you, but God can come in and He can touch you, He can heal you He can set you free He can give you the answer that you need He's the strength. He's the power. He's the answer. And we're going to invite him to come and to, and to do what only he can do in your life and in my life as we partake together. So right now we invite you, Jesus, by all your strength and all your power to flood us, to transform us, to heal us, to empower us, to enable us
1: in a way that only
0: partake of the cup together so Lord Jesus we thank you that you said do this in remembrance of you and Lord this morning we remember that you are the only answer that you are our savior our Lord and our soon coming king and Lord We join this morning with literally hundreds of millions of Christians around the globe that are locked in homes. We're all united, less divided than we've ever been because all of us are in in this pandemic together. And we're united in you and we look to you and we celebrate you today. May that be, and may that really be the reality, that we celebrate and worship you today. Not a a personality at a church, not the star of a worship team, but the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we worship you and love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Aren't you glad that we decided during this whole pandemic that every week we're going to celebrate communion together as a way of bringing us together? I've been enjoying it, and I hope you've been. Somebody heard a story from somebody that they that they were uh, worried because they, or they were upset because they didn't have all their, um, they didn't have all of their uh, communion elements ready, and I did communion at the beginning of the service, like this time, instead of the end. And, uh, they, uh, they didn't have their stuff. You know what? Um, just get ready every week because every single week sometime during the service we're going, to have, we're going to celebrate communion together. In the, one, one more thing before we bring Pastor uh, Bob up. Um, you should have received in the mail this week a copy of this book. If you did not get a copy of this book, you need to contact the church office. We're doing our best to have our mailing list complete. It's a book called Surprise the World, and every May... We um, do a different book for the church. Last year was was Bob Goff's book um, about love. We did, remember Love Evolution last year. Well, this year for May, because May is what? Say it with me. That's right. May is missions month. I could hear you all the way over here. Whenever I do that stuff, my kids just think I'm corny as can be, but um, they'll laugh at me because I did that. But uh, May is missions month, and I could hear you. So every month, every every May, we always talk think about missions of the church. But every May, we take a special emphasis. On missions, and we talk about our missions program and what we're doing. And we also, as part of that, always have a book that we go through um, that we that we make available. So we mailed them to you this year. So every family should have received a copy of this little book called "Surprise the World" by Michael Frost. And the reason we're doing that this year, we'd picked it out months and months ago. And it seems kind of odd because it's about how you can live a missional life. And you're like, I'm living a life in confinement. I'm living a a solitary confinement life. Well, this is not going to last forever. So this is our little opportunity to actually really read the book um, because you can't do a whole bunch of other things. Read this short little book. And for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about a little bit in each sermon about this book. And so I want you to start reading it. And here's three things that I want you to be paying attention to as you read the book. Three things to look for, okay? Number one, look for what does it mean to live a questionable life? You're going to find that out in chapter 1. What's it mean to live a questionable life, and how does that apply to reaching people for Jesus? Number two, what's the interaction that Frost talks about between a gifted evangelist, there's some people with the gift of evangelism, and everybody else in the local church? How do they combine together to be the best at reaching law? How will you in our community? And the third thing I want you to pay attention to, and it's for most of the book's about, how will you live out bells, B-E-L-L-S, an acronym he's going to talk about in the book, how can you live out a Bell's lifestyle, a missional lifestyle, to help you intentionally engage with people for Christ. So we're going to talk about that over the next, the rest of the month of May. And so get that book, start reading it, because next week I'm going to talk about that first thing, um, how can you live a questionable life, all right? Well, hey, we um, have been doing this little mini-series, Four Weeks on Pillars, And we've been talking about pillars of the church. And we started off with with Noah as a pillar of the church. Matter of fact, a pillar of humanity. If it wasn't for Noah, we wouldn't be here. Because Noah and his three sons and his wife and their wives um, recreated the whole human race um, after the flood. And so um, we talked about Noah being a pillar and what we learned from him of this godly life that God noticed. And then um, last week we talked about a New Testament pillar and uh, that was James, and what I get feedback I'm getting is the one-liner in there that I love bacon, so I love James, um, is, was, the, was the thing that you all got, that he was a person who helped navigate, the, as, a, as the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem, navigate Acts 15, and figure out how does a Gentile live this Christian life, and what he concluded is, we don't have to live like Jews, because we don't have to live like Jews, we can eat bacon, and so I love bacon, so I love James. And so you guys saw that last week. Well, this week we're going to talk about a contemporary pillar and some a pillar of of somebody that's doing something in the world today that's helping build the church. And I can't think of a better example of that than our friend, and you guys will recognize him when he comes up here, Bob, he's going to come in a few minutes. He has been given his life to ministry in the former Soviet Union, and the reason he's a pillar that we want to bring him in for this is because his ministry has been trying to rebuild the church that the Soviet Union tried to destroy. That the one thing under communism um, that they tried to do is that communism always does is does away with faith. And so so the church was just destroyed under communism and Bob came in uh, for years and years and years, decades ministering there and helping reestablish the church. And the church is growing and thriving um, in the former Soviet Union. And so Bob is a pillar. He's being used to help establish those pillars, those churches all around. Last time um, when Bob was here, he talked about how um, they're planting a church in the city where Stalin was from. And so um, just establishing the church, establishing Bible colleges, and doing things to reestablish the church and make it better than it ever was. So Bob, share with us, Bob, what the Lord's laid in your heart.
1: Thank you, Pastor Mark, for those kind words. Those who believe in the gospel of Christ, we are called... ...to be world Christians. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And if you are a follower of Christ, then you also are a pillar. You also have God's anointing. Anointing is a word we hear often, and it has many different meanings to many different people. But if we look at the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Gospel of Luke in particular, the book of Acts, the anointing is not a confusing concept. When Jesus says, the Lord has anointed me with the Spirit, he has called me to preach the Gospel. When we talk about God's anointing... We're saying that God's, his approval is on our life, his commissioning is upon us, he, his favor is upon us, and he has a task for us to accomplish. So all of us have the same calling in the respect that we are all called to come to Jesus to, and to become more like him and to know him in a greater way. We are all called to come and, uh, and to seek him and to see that our family members I'll come to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. We're called to reach our neighbors, our classmates, the people we work with. We have a world to reach. And so for me, it's a joy to be here. I want to thank Portview Church for your incredible generosity, for your kindness. And you just saw an example of that here with Pastor Anatole, who is really one of our maybe our, one of our two key pastors in the country of Moldova. He was a graduate of our seminary in Kiev, Ukraine about 15 years ago. Uh, there was a professor there, I was the academic dean at the time, and we agreed together that we thought that this brother would be the most successful pastor that we had ever put out because of his, his great love, his humility, and the calling he had in his life, and you saw the home that he had, beautiful home, and of course, you guys had a, a large part to play in that. Um, if you, you saw how nice it was, the whole thing with a adjacent garage, a very large garage, they paid $30,000 for the building and the property, and it all came about as really the the catalyst behind this, as pa, as Pastor Mark said, was one of Anatole's sons. In fact, he got up in church the day that we gave them the money from Portview and other churches, and I felt led to give something, and, uh, and his seven-year-old son got up, and he testified, and he said, I've been praying every day of my life since I was four years old because I have seven brothers and sisters, and we had... We all had to sleep in one room or in the living room. And he said, and I was praying that people would be very kind and that someday all of us would be able to have a house to live in and a place where we could play. And he says, and now God has answered this prayer. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place when he was up there. It was was an incredible thing. So thank you for your support, for your prayers, for our partnership. I look at it that way more than anything. You're more than supporters. We are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, which is what we always emphasize in the former Soviet Union. Whenever we fellowship with each other, when we introduce people, we say, this is a colleague, this is a professor, this is a a pastor, a bishop, or a friend. But what will usually happen is one of the brothers will get up and say, but most importantly, this man is a dear brother in Jesus Christ. And this is what we have to remember. We are a family. We are the family of God. We're going through difficulties now. But this is what we need, part of what we need to pray for around the world. You probably know that today, more than ever before, people are coming to Christ. People are coming to Christ in in great numbers, far greater than the birth rate. The church around the world, in most places, excluding Western Europe and North America, the church is very young, very charismatic, on fire for God, seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing miracles and salvations. And it's, it's an exciting thing to see. And so we need to have a vision. First, we have a vision for our family, our church, our neighborhood, the people we're around, our, our in circle of influence, we call it. But we also have a heart for the entire world. I wanted to read a couple of quotes to you because in missions, I love to find quotes. I know a lot of you like to read. You have a Book of the Month Club here at Portview Church, which I'm sure is very uh, uplifting and encouraging. But here's a couple of phrases, and we have to think of it outside of of our little context, too. We have a sphere of influence, and our sphere of influence doesn't encompass the whole world. There are many other churches that are doing things for missions as well, and we want them to succeed. There was one guy by the name, he lived not long after Martin Luther, by the name of Francis, St. Francis Xavier. You may have guessed that he was not an Assembly of God person. He was one of the original Jesuits who felt a call to missions. And he, uh, he went to the countries of India and Japan, not easy places to go to even today. He only served nine years as a missionary before he died, but he was credited with leading over 700,000 people to Christ in his lifetime in only nine years. At one point, he was baptizing 10,000 people a week when he was in India, a lot of children. And one of his phrases that I love, he says, give up your small ambitions and come with me to save the world. And so, obviously, most of us are not going to go to a foreign country. We're going to work jobs. We're, going to, you know, we're g- going to keep the economy going. We're going to do the things that people have always done. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have as our goal to disciple all nations. There was another famous missionary. Maybe uh, some of you never heard of the man named Robert Moffat. You may have heard of his son-in-law, who was David Livingstone, the great missionary to the interior of Africa. And Moffat was really the first person to go into the interior of Africa during the mid-19th century. He was a Scottish Presbyterian. And when he went back to Scotland, everybody wanted to hear what Africa was like, because nobody had gone there. Some of you have gone to Moldova. Some of you have gone to other countries. Now, how do you explain to somebody in Port Washington what Moldova's like? What it's like in the village in Moldova? Well, you really can't explain it adequately. People have to experience it. But Moffat said, when I go back to Scotland, I want to show people a picture of what we what they need to know. And this is what he said. He said, they said, What did you see? They said, Reverend Moffat, what did you see in Africa? And he said, I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. He painted this picture for them. Can you see that picture? The smoke of a thousand villages, people that have never heard the name of Jesus. And, of course, we have this situation all over the world. I'm in the former Soviet Union. I've been there for, well, I've been going there for almost 30 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. And it was a dark place. As Pastor Mark said, it was a persecuted church. Seventy years of communism, imprisonment. Our first students in the seminary, almost all of them had been in prison. Some 15 or 20 years in prison. And here I come, I'm from Upper Michigan, some of you know this, and I come to Kiev, Ukraine to teach people who have spent 20 years in prison to teach them how to follow Christ, <laughs> how to be faithful to Jesus. But they have endured the suffering, and they have a special grace that God has given them. So I want to encourage you, we may be going through hard times now, but these are the times where we really, where God really he, uh, he challenges us in our faith and our commitment. And I think th- this is a wonderful time. We find out what we're made of, and we see the Lord come through and protect us, watch over us, provide for us. So if you're anxious or fearful today, put your hope in the Lord because He is the one who's going to come through. Somebody said, What are three things you can tell me about God? I said, Well, I said, God is real. I said, He loves us, and uh, He keeps His word. He's truthful. Those are pretty simple things, aren't they? And God is truthful, He will honor His word. So I had the privilege of being with these men when I first went there, many of these people who had been in prison, and they really changed my life. And I think we need to remember that around the world, many of our brothers and sisters are suffering for Jesus. People are dying for Jesus today more than ever before in the world. We have the greatest persecution and death rate among uh, Christians that we've ever seen in the entire world. And I remember uh, there was a man that I met from, uh, he was a Moldovan who lived in the country of Romania, and he had spent 22 years in prison, Brother Nikolai. He's with the Lord now. But Brother Nikolai was the sweetest old old man that I ever met in my life. And when I met him, I didn't know much about him. Somebody said, Brother Nikolai is a musician. He spent 22 years in hard labor in Romanian prisons in the communist days. They tortured him almost every day of his life while he was in prison. And he was in solitary confinement most of the time. Never saw anyone, had nothing. And I would always bring people to meet him. I said, I want you to meet Brother Nikolai. I'd have missionaries with me. Come and meet Brother Nikolai. And people would just cry being in this man's presence. They'd say, why do I feel like crying when I'm around you? I feel like I'm unholy. And they would say, oh, Brother Nikolai, they'd always ask this question. It must have been difficult to live for the Lord in prison. And he'd always smile, that sweet smile he had. He said, oh, no, no. It's much more difficult to live out here where we have everything. It's very easy to die to yourself and to die to Christ when you're in prison. And people would ask a lot of the same questions. But one time somebody asked a question I never thought of. They said, Brother Nikolai, did you ever know Brother Richard Warmbrandt, the man who wrote Tortured for Christ, the book? Some of you may have seen him. He's on a lot of different Christian programs, even today, some of his things. He was the one who inspired the Voice of the Martyrs, that journal that a lot of people read about the persecuted church around the world. Someone asked him, Did you ever, were you ever in prison with Richard Warmbrand? And he said, yes we were. We spent three years in the same prison, but we only saw each other twice during those three years. And he says, both times it was when they brought us out to torture us in a large room. We were together all day from morning till late afternoon and they tortured us. And Brother Nikolai said, when I would be tortured I would pray and ask God to help me to overcome the pain, to help me to honor him and to glorify him. And he said, many of the much of the time, when I was tortured, the Lord would give me a song. He would give me the words, the music, he'd give me the melody, but there was nowhere to write it down. When he had come out a Christian, this is in 1991, he sat down for three months with some uh, Christian hymn writers and songwriters, and in his lifetime he had written over 6,000 hymns and choruses, which are sung all over Romania and Moldova. They're sung in all the churches, even Orthodox churches, because, uh, and then he said, I was in there with Richard, and they were torturing Richard, and I was praying. I heard Richard crying, and I said, oh, God, please help my brother Richard. Please help me to, to be a witness. Let us witness and show the love of Christ. And, and he said, and God gave me a song while they were torturing me. And they took my mind off the pain, which he often did. And he said, after they tortured us for many hours, they let us have ten minutes together, and it was like gold. He said, we hugged each other, we kissed each other. And I said to Richard Warmbrown, Nikolai I said, Brother Richard, God gave me a song while they were torturing us. And Brother Richard smiled. He said, Can you sing it for me? And I heard this song. And the song was a song about the New Jerusalem, how Jesus was standing at the gates of the New Jerusalem, ready to welcome all those who had been faithful to him and did not deny his name. And they were crying. And, and Richard looked at Brother Nikolai and he smiled and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Brother Nikolai, Maybe they'll, maybe they'll torture us again tomorrow and the Lord will give you another song. See, now that kind of thinking isn't really on our radar screen at all, is it? But this was the example of people and the, the commitment they made to Jesus Christ. So in the former Soviet Union, we've been partners there for well over 20 years now. And uh, God has done great things. I can tell you when I first went to Ukraine, that was the most Christian country there. The church has grown from 300 to about 4,000 And when I first went to Russia, there were 80 Pentecostal churches in Russia. There are over 4,000 Pentecostal churches now. Moldova, we talk about Pastor Anatol. when he was born. There were 19 churches in Moldova. There are over 400 churches now. And we had no Bibles when I came to the seminary in in Kiev, Ukraine, 20 years ago. We're going to celebrate the 20th anniversary here in a very short time. A lot of people didn't have a Bible. We had men and women that did not even have a Bible. They... uh, it, they had to borrow one from someone or, or use each other's Bible in the class. I'm happy to say that now in the year 2020, there have been over 100 million Russian Bibles printed and distributed. They're as common as eyeglasses now if you want a Bible. And so many of these people, who had they paid the price. I remember when we gave the first what we call the Fire Bible. We have a special Bible some of you know of. A study Bible. They never had anything like a study Bible. They never had Christian books. And they, they gave it to me because I was the dean of the seminary. They said, Brother Bob, you have to give out the first Russian study Bible, the Fire Bible. Who do? And I'm going, Who do I give it to? How do I choose among these people? And the student said, We have a, a, a student here. His name is Anatoly. He was a tall guy, about six foot four. He was your typical guy you see in the pictures with the gold teeth all the way straight across the front. <laughs> And he was, a, he was such a happy man, always smiled. I never saw him without a smile. And he walked like this kind of you, just like Walter Brennan from the old McCoys, if any of you. That dates me, of course. But, uh, and I said, Anatoly, what happened to your leg? He said, well, when I was in prison in Siberia, they smashed my kneecap with a sledgehammer into many, many pieces. And so, and I said, that must hurt. He says, yeah, it hurts. But he said, but I'm happy to have it. He says, I call it my gift from Siberia. It reminds me that I suffered for Jesus. And this guy was a walking Bible. He had memorized the Bible. I don't know how he did it. He didn't have a Bible. They said, Brother Bob, give him the Bible. I gave him the Bible. I said, Brother Anatoly, the student said, you should get the first, first full-life study Bible. I'm giving it to you. And when he got it, he clutched it, and he put it up against his chest like this, and he started to cry like a baby. He was just sobbing, and I had never seen him do that. And I kind of freaked out. I go, what do I do? I, I wasn't ready for this. And uh, one thing I learned when I was in Russia, all the years I'm in Russia, you know, I'm from the Upper Peninsula, so I'm not big into the standard Russian greeting that men give. They like to kiss each other right on the lips. And when you see some of these guys, dental hygiene is not above reproach with some of these brothers, with the silver teeth, the brown teeth, the gold teeth, or whatever color teeth they have. So I'd always give the extended arm and say, oh, it's good to see you, brother, and I'd lock the elbow so nobody could get close enough. Well, when I turned around... Brother Anatoly grabbed me by the head, he spun me around, and he put one on me. He put his lips on mine and kissed me, and I mean, he kissed me like I'd never been kissed before. <laughs> and when he did it, I tried to get away. I was in the military. They said, if you fall into quicksand, fall backwards. Or if you're taken hostage, what they say, hostage taker, just fall on the ground. I tried these things. They didn't work. But they say, like, when you're having a near-death experience, like when you're jumping out of a, a plane and your chute doesn't open, your parachute... It seems like it's a very long period of time, but it's really only a short period of time. But he finally let me go, and, uh, and I said, thank you very much. I told him, thank you, Anatoly. <laughs> but here we have people now that have the Bible. They have Christian books. The church is being discipled. The church is growing. Tremendous things are happening. I spent 10 years in Ukraine, thanks to your help. I've now spent 12 years in the Republic of Georgia. When I came to Georgia, there were only two churches, underground churches, greatly persecuted people, we now have over 140 churches, but yet we still only have 3% of the population in Georgia that is evangelical. We have hundreds of places that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, hundreds of places that don't have a church, even cities of 20 or 30,000 people that have never heard the name of Jesus, never had a church, so that we have not completed the work. There is a lot of work yet to do, but God is doing great things. I think it's important for us to remember that. I'm in the area of the world called Eurasia. Now, Eurasia comprises the Muslims, the Buddhists, most of the Hindus in the world, these populations. Three billion people. And did you know that over 99% of these people are without Jesus Christ? What Moffat said, without hope, without anything in the world. They need Jesus Christ. Here are some alarming statistics. Over 80% of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus, they've never met a Christian They've never read a Bible. They've never seen a church. And they've never heard a missionary or an evangelist. They are what we call hopelessly lost until they hear about Jesus. Well, We have lost people all over the place here. We have a lot of great churches here. And I know you do in Port Washington. You have many good churches and in this region. and But we still have many, many people who are lost without Christ. They need Christ. And these people, they're hopelessly lost. We need to reach them. We need to preach the gospel to them. And so... We're doing that a lot of times, of course, through discipleship, through, through education, through strengthening the church. So this was a suffering church that God has raised up to become an incredible church. Georgia is a small country. It only has 4 million people. It's surrounded all by Muslim neighbors, Turkey, Azerbaijan, the Muslim, the Muslim republics of Russia. We have Iran very close, only eight hours away. We have had an influx of Iranians. 300,000 Iranians have come to Georgia in the last Two or three years. Many of them are Christians, many of them are not. We have what we call our live dead missionaries that are there to reach the Muslim people because the phrase is to live as though you were dead. And so we have many of these Iranian people coming to Christ. They go back into their country. We have the network of where to put them so they can go in the churches and be discipled and start new churches. And Georgia, of course, as Pastor Mark said when I was here last time, we started a Church in the city of Gori, uh, the, the birthplace of Joseph Stalin, one of the great murderers of all time. That church is booming. And I remember the, fo- the man who followed Stalin was a man named Nikita Khrushchev. Some of you are too young to remember that. But he made a boast. He said, I will take a picture of myself with the last Christian in the Soviet Union. He said, If you want to see a Bible, you'll have to go to a museum to find it. Aren't you glad that in the so- former Soviet Union today, We have tens of millions of evangelical believers now. (laughs) What if Khrushchev were alive today? It would be hard to take that picture. And we have hundreds of thousands of Bibles in these countries, Christian literature, books of all kinds. The gospel is going forth. So when I go back in the fall, which I hope to do, uh, we're going to start a Bible school to train pastors and missionaries in the city of Gori. We're going to start a Bible school in that very city where Joseph Stalin was born. So God is doing great things. It's exciting. And so what do we do then in our world? In our world today, how do we reach people for Christ? You know, in the early church, they weren't, it wasn't a lot of uh, mass evangelism. You didn't have Billy Graham or Luis Palau preaching to 100,000 people in a stadium. It was one-on-one, friendship evangelism, building relationships with people, <clears throat> letting them see that you have a hope that they need in their life. So maybe you're listening today. Maybe you're scared, you're scared out of your mind. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to get sick. You don't know if you're going to get your job back. You don't know how you're going to pay the mortgage. When you go to bed tonight, you may be thinking, wow, what's going to happen? I've got to get up the next day. But I'm telling you, if you give your life to Christ, if you're a true follower of Christ, you can put your head on the cool side of the pillow tonight. And you can go, with the, go to bed you never hasten, knowing that God is going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. And you will have a peace that you never had before. And so, what can we do? I believe the greatest thing that we can do is to model Jesus Christ for those people around us, for our family members and our friends. I go to churches often, and as a teacher, I like to ask trick questions. I ask them, what is the goal goal of the Christian life? And in many churches, the people say, to go to heaven. And I say, sorry, that's the wrong answer. Because we know we're going to go to heaven if we know Jesus Christ. The goal of the Christian life, is to come to know Jesus Christ in his fullness. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his... I want to know him in the fellowship of his his resurrection and in his sufferings. I want to know this. And how do we get there? What are the objectives of how we get to the goal? The objective is Romans 8.29, that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ every day of our life. That every day of our life, we are becoming more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Every day of our life... We're becoming more forgiving, more loving, more generous, more kind. We show the fruits of the Spirit, the presence of God in our life, the power of God, and people look at us. We had, a, we had, one of, we had many Muslim graduates from our seminary in, in Kiev. I remember one of them went back to their family, a radical Muslim family, and uh, this student was crying, said, What am I going to tell my parents? What am I going to say? And I looked at that student and I said, You don't have to say a thing. They're going to see that your life is totally different. So much of the time, we just have to show that we are followers of Christ. So I want to encourage you from a passage of of Scripture that I hope that most of you are familiar with. uh, I just want to share for a few moments on that, how we can imitate Christ. And it's in Philippians chapter 2. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 5, he said, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So our goal and our objective as followers of Christ is we want to be like Jesus. So how do we become like Jesus? We humble ourselves. That's the first thing. Humility is not a very popular trait in our culture today, is it? Because if you watch sports... And you listen to those guys after they're interviewed after a victory, they're usually not talking about their humility and how, you know, they're talking about, they're making the great boast. This is our culture. And In ancient times, we had a thing called the seven deadly sins. Pride was one of the seven deadly sins. Now humility is one of the seven deadly sins because you should be proud of everything, proud of your heritage, proud of your race, proud of your color, proud proud of your education, proud of this, proud of that, even things you shouldn't be proud of. You should take credit for it if you possibly can. And so we need to humble ourselves but humbling ourselves many people think is uh, looking in the mirror when you're on a diet program taking a side profile and saying oh look at that that's disgusting you know you make self deprecating comments about yourself that's not humility humility begins with our acknowledgment that without Jesus Christ we're lost that we can't do anything without him without the holy spirit in our life we are hopelessly lost and we need to to give our lives completely to him we need to die to ourselves and to become more like him. We need to humble ourselves, meaning we depend on the Lord completely. For everything that we, possibly, we could possibly need or want, we humble ourselves. Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient. And so this is a trait that I think we can model for people. When people see you, they'll see when you're a humble man that you're not a wimp. Because we see this in the Bible. Jesus was not a wimp. Paul was not a wimp. Moses was called the most humble man on the face of the earth. You could hardly call him a wimp after what he went through. And so we need to humble ourselves and depend on the Lord. You know, a lot of people will quote the verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We hear this verse quoted a lot to say we need to pray for a revival for America. If my people who are called by my name will do what? Will humble themselves is the first thing. Because when I ask people, what do we have to do to change America? Pray, I said, yes, we have to pray. That's terribly important. But the first thing we have to do is humble ourselves. Because you can pray till the cows come home, and if your heart's not right, nothing's going to happen. So we need to humble ourselves. And then pray and turn from our wicked ways, seek his face. And then God will do something. He'll do something in our lives. He'll do something in our country. And so Jesus humbled himself, and then it says he became obedient. He did what the Father told him to do. He said, I've come to do the Father's will. And I want to encourage you to say, to Not get so hung up on the 30 years. Your faith is this or your faith is that. We've been taught a lot of things in the last 20 or 30 years in our culture. That you have to have this tremendous faith in order to do something. You have to step out and you have to to do this and you have to be that. And I will beg to differ with you. I believe that obedience comes before faith. Faith doesn't come before obedience. Those of you who have been faithful here in this church... And you've given, I bet if you were here today and I saw you face to face, I could ask you, are you more certain that God will take care of you today than at any other point in your life? I bet you that at least 95% of you would say absolutely. And why is it because of your great faith? No, it's because of your obedience. The Lord told you to give, the Lord commands us to give, to be generous, and you've done that, and God has honored his word because he tells the truth. And because of that, your faith is up here when it comes to God taking care of you Because you've been obedient, and uh, I have in my pocket, I have a dime. I know you probably can't see this. This is a dime, the smallest coin we have in American currency. And I remember pulling this out once because I went to a village. You know, a lot of you have been to Moldova. This was in this culture, in the Romanian culture, in our the church I was at, where we it wasn't Anatol's church; it was a different one. People were praying to reach a neighboring town that had never heard the gospel. A town of about 5,000 people, they had never had a church. They were 600 years old, this town. Never had an Orthodox church. Never heard the name of Jesus. We had intercessors in the church. And they prayed and they said, the Lord told us that you guys are supposed to go to that village. You're supposed to go to that town. And you're supposed to go there for eight weeks. God told us eight weeks. We don't know why he told us eight weeks. And when these people prayed, and a lot of them were older ladies, when they prayed, we listened, you know. When Merrill Lynch talks or whatever, people listen, right? Right? When he's old saints pray, people listen. So we prayed, and we knew that we had to be obedient to the Lord. And we were saying, oh, man, we, you heard about this village. They, they beat people up. They throw rocks at them. They beat them with sticks. They trash their cars. You know, they break the windows. I said, you sure we want to go there? And uh, and the brothers said, we have to go there. You know, we know we have to. This God wants us to go there. So we went there. For eight weeks, from the first week we went there, we were met at the city, at the entrance of the city, by mobs of people, by orthodox people who hated us, by the police, by the mayor and his office. It wasn't any combination of any of them every week. They were terribly abusive. They cursed us. They told us we, we stank, that we were stupid, were worthless, useless, all those things that try to encourage us, you know. And so we still went in there. We preached. We brought our best musicians. We brought our children's workers. We brought the best of everything we had. And people were coming to Christ week after week. And every week it got worse. They're throwing stuff at us, hitting us with sticks, throwing rocks at us. And me, I'm older, so I'm smart. I move over to the other side, you know. I move on the side where they're throwing the least amount of rocks or the smallest rocks. And the young guys with me, some of them Anatole knew, Brother Anatole, and they got hit with some of these rocks. And they said, Brother Bob, it hurts when they're throwing the rocks. When it hits, it hurts. I said, they're not throwing the rocks at you. They're throwing the rocks at Jesus. They don't even know who you are. They said, then how come it hurts? I said, because you got in the way. They were thrown at a Jesus, and you got in the way. And so that's part of the deal. When you Sometimes you have to suffer. Sometimes you have to go through a little bit. But it was well, well worth the suffering for what we saw. People came to Christ week after week. And week after week, the mayor, the city leader said, you'll never come here. You'll never have a church here. We hate you people. We despise you. You'll never have any property to buy. Nobody will rent to you. And I remember the last Sunday we came there. That we, uh, I was discouraged, I was tired You know, that's when the devil attacks you when you're tired And I was so discouraged And they met us at the gate, the mayor And he said, you're done, this is your last Sunday The police are going to walk you back and forth And uh, you've had it after this Nobody, we don't ever want to see your face again If you come back here, we promise We will do some bodily damage to you And we'll destroy your vehicle and all your equipment And they meant it, it was serious and so I started to cry. I literally started crying in the middle of the road. I had, there were four pastors with me yesterday. <laughs> I said, oh, this, we're never going to have a, we're never going to have a place. Oh, no, all this good thing, all these good things happen. We're never going to have a place. And the reason I say this is somebody had asked me here in Wisconsin just a few months ago. They said, we, we heard you were called the man of faith. And I said, yeah, that's true. Where did you hear that from? They said, are you the man of faith like George Mueller? And Bruce, I said, no, 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 no." not like George Mueller. But I said, I started to cry, and the pastor said, no, Brother Bob, God's going to come through. He's going to do a miracle. Well, we had another great meeting. People came to Christ, and some mean, on the way out of town, I looked at this mayor like he was the devil himself, you know. He was a mean guy, and he abused us every week. And one thing I learned from that is people are never our enemy. Don't ever forget that. We only have one enemy, and you know who that is. That's the devil. People are never our enemy. Churches are never our enemy. Politicians are never our enemy. Governments aren't our enemy. We only have one enemy. People need Christ. Governments need Christ. Churches need... We all need Jesus. We're all in the same. We're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus Christ. So he says, come here, you guys. I want to talk to you. And I go, oh, great. We come in there, and this man had a huge, beautiful home, a mansion. And he had just built an addition in his house, it was like a 2,000-square-foot addition, beautiful. And I said, okay, sir, what do you want to tell us? We'll get out of here." And he looks at me, and he starts to cry, tears coming down his face. He said, i got to tell you guys something. He said, you know, last week I snuck off to one of your meetings. I was hiding in the back, because they do them in the dark in the summertime. Those of you who have gone to Moldova, you know they probably do them in the dark when they do a Sunday night meeting. They hide, because that way the people can't see who's there. He said, I was hiding in the back. He said, I gave my heart to Jesus I repented he said God saved me and he said last night God woke me up in the middle of the night and he said and I had a vision and he told me that I'm supposed to give this new addition in my house as the new church the new Pentecostal church in this town And when he said that we all fell on our knees we had our hands in the air and we're praising God we're crying and when I came out of that place, it wasn't the same as when I had come into the town that morning. You know, when I came out of that building, I woohoo! Yeah, we are the champions, my friends. You know, and I ran out to the the, the road and I called the pastors. I said, "Come here, brothers! I got to make a declaration. I got to tell you guys something." They go, "What is it, brother Bob?" I said, "I never doubted for a second that we we're gonna have a church in this town. I never doubted for a second. And one of them says, oh, yes, Brother Bob, you are the man of faith. (laughs) So that's where I got the title from. But I say that because when I came into the town that day, I did not have enough faith to jump over this dime. That's how much faith I had. But we went there because God told us to go there. And God may be telling you to do something. He may be telling you to do something for your family or your neighbors. God may want you to bake a cake and go bring it over to one of your senior citizen neighbors. God may be calling you to do something in the church. God may be calling you to a ministry in the church. God may be calling you to something nobody's ever done before. That sounds crazy. God may be doing something, and he's telling you, and you know it's him. Obey the Lord. Don't worry about what your faith is like. Because when you step out and obey the Lord... When God tells you to pray for a sick person, you don't have any faith, and God heals them, guess what's going to happen? Your faith is going to go up. So I want to encourage you, let's follow the example of Jesus. Because we see Jesus humbled himself, and says, he became obedient even to the point of death. Death on the cross. And what happened because Jesus was obedient? We see what happened afterwards. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above, that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I want to encourage you today. Don't give up. If you're discouraged, don't give up. Let's hear the the voice of God. Let's do what he's called us to do. Let's continue on and be faithful to him. Let's continue to become more like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior every day of our life. Pastor Mark's going to come up here and and give a a closing prayer. But once again, I want to thank you so much for your commitment to Jesus Christ, for your commitment to his church, your commitment to World Missions, for our partnership in the gospel. And like I said, it's a joy and it's a privilege to be partners with you. So God bless you, and uh, we wish you a wonderful day, and and this thing will be over with. So just trust the Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. Can we touch each other? it's okay. (laughs)
1: Yeah, they might report us. They might
0: report (laughs) us. You didn't see that, did you, anybody? Thank you so much for sharing with us today. When we weren't having church, I called, I called Bob up and said, would you be willing to come and preach to an empty room? And he said, ah, I just had to preach to an empty room in Minnesota. And he said, so I did it then and I'll do it now. And so thank you for sharing um, about what God is doing around the world. And it's so encouraging to hear that, um, that God is doing amazing things around this globe. And that, you know, sometimes you know, we have so much here in America, but what we don't have is a church that's thriving. I mean, Portview's a great church, but the church as a whole is um is not. The church in, in Europe and North America is the only place on the planet where it's plateaued and shrinking. And um, I don't think that's God's plan. God's plan is to turn this thing around. The key is us doing what Bob talked about, being people of obedience, walking in obedience to the Lord and doing what God asks us to do. And then as, he, as we follow him and do what he asks us to do, um, People's lives will be changed, and our faith's going to get built because, wow, it actually worked. People are actually coming to Christ. And so thank you so much, um, uh, Pastor Bob, for sharing with us this morning. Um, I want to just remind you of something, Portview Church, that um, because Bob is here and you're not here, normally what we do is we take an offering at the end of our service for missionary. So out of our Kingdom Builders account, we're going to give Bob a check. But I want to encourage you, um, if you want to add to that, you know how to give. You give online. Um, you, can, you can go in the app, you can give online, and there's a, a tab there for, for missions. You can add something to that, or you can send it in a check. Let Pastor Mitch know um, and say, hey, I want to add to what the church is giving because we want to support him. And a lot of his services got canceled because of coronavirus, he doesn't know I'm going to do this. But a lot of services got canceled, so we want to make up for that. We want to just bless the socks off him. So send in your, you know, thousands of extra dollars. I mean that. We always do that. Thousands of extra dollars, and we'll add to what we're sending him um, from our Kingdom Builders account and uh, we'll send him back to, uh, to Georgia and the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, let him get that new Bible college started in Ukraine, uh, in Georgia rather, and uh, keep doing the work that God's asked him to do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this morning by praying just the, the uh, blessing over you that we pray so often here, the blessing that the Lord gave Aaron. And so let me just pray this over you as we go as a church family. that the Lord, Pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you that the Lord will make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.